Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
be seated for just a minute. A little change in schedule because of other obligations during the Sunday school hour. Good morning to you. The pastors in our mission committee hope to begin a tradition of monthly mission spots, reports, videos, guest speakers, and such in order to keep our congregation current on what God is doing around the world, near and far. I drew the short straw today, so I'm the one who kicks it off, but I'm glad to be bringing you an update about our 2015 Faith Promise. You recall that in February, our missions convention time, we kicked off the 2015 Faith Promise Drive with these little white cards, and uh, they uh, were passed out in the bulletins. To date, we have received 31 Faith Promises, totaling about $23,000 up to date, and uh, $5,000 in cash has been received so far towards those promises. So we praise the Lord. That's pretty good, especially considering how low-key we presented this in February. In fact, the Sunday they were due, we, we didn't say much. So what are faith promises? I'd like to explain that for all of you. Faith promises are prayerful commitments to give above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings as we trust God to provide. So it's above and beyond. We do that in order to extend our mission outreach of our church beyond our normal church budget. When you give a dollar to the church, so much percent of that dollar every Sunday goes to missions, but faith promises above and beyond that. So our missions committee of this church is just now completing our our budget uh, proposals for the elders for our May church, all-church meeting. And there have been real people and real projects that we trust God will help us to provide for, above and beyond the budget. Therefore, for the first time, we are amending the faith promise to include direct support for a missionary couple from our church, workers from our church. Zach and Aaron Smalley serve full-time and year-round at Crossbar X Youth Ranch in Colorado. They are our hands and feet working to reach out to troubled teens. So our faith promise goal for 2015 is being readjusted or amended for a bit larger goal than projected earlier. We believe God has more folks in our church who would like to be able to join in on the faith promise. So what we're suggesting on the back table in the foyer are more of these cards. If you're interested, grab a card and return it during the next few Sundays if you might be one of those people beyond the 31 who have been part of this in order to extend our outreach. I'd like to just close with just a little personal testimony, if you'll let me. It's not about our sainthood. It's not about our ingenuity, but it's about God's faithfulness. Back in February, my wife and I filled out a faith promise card in spite of the fact that our regular budget is a lot iffier this year and quite reduced. And then, boom, unexpected bills came that we weren't expecting. I just said that. That sounds great. Anyway, but God is faithful and also got an unexpected tax return. And we've already paid that faith promise. It's not even, what, half a year yet. I think God is good. I think God cares. And so I'd like to invite you to join us. Maybe we're up, upping our faith promise. Maybe you'd like to, for the first time, join in. That's our spot for this time. I know we're going to be having some uh, missionary guests and videos coming up. Just like to encourage you to be part of the Faith Promise 2015. God bless. Please stand as we continue in worship together. <coughs> Thank you. 
destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned, suffered as if he
Father, we thank you for your great, incredible love for us. We thank you that you would send your son to die on the cross and raise again, that we could live with you forever. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would teach us to share that love, to give others the same love you've given us. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like to invite the ushers forward to assist us as we give back to God together.
stand with us. You go If you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers as we pray together, please come and join me.
Holy Father, we are so grateful for your mercies, for your grace to us, and that we live in the power of the risen Christ. We pray, Father, that the truth of Christ's resurrection would be implanted deep in our hearts and our souls and our minds, that we might live in the truth and the grace and the power of the resurrection. Father, we desire to be people of the resurrection in this world of great need. As we come to this time of prayer, we are reminded of the needs of our world and we think of our brothers and sisters who live in far too many places of the world where they face persecution, threats, even death. We ask that you would protect them and strengthen them and give them courage and help them to know of your presence, your spirit, and our love and support. We pray for your people that are serving around the world, helping, helping others to know about Christ. And this morning we pray for Zach and Aaron Smalley and the work that they're doing at the ranch in Colorado. As they work with young people, give to them wisdom and understanding and fill their hearts with love and compassion and grace. And may they see amazing fruit from their ministry. Father, we pray for the needs in our own lives right here. We come with all kinds of things that we have faced this week. We are nearing the end of the semester and the exams and the papers and the expectations are becoming more and more intense. And we pray for your grace in the midst of all of this to not just be able to accomplish the task, but in the middle of it to continue to, to nourish our relationships and to sense your spirit drawing us closer to you. Lord, we pray for the burdens in our community, our church family. We pray for Eric Curry and his family at the death of his father. Comfort them with your peace, and we pray for your comforting presence on all who are grieving today. We pray for those who are wrestling with issues of health, and we think of Beulah Avery and Jill Tyson and Bruce Brenneman and Beverett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Tim Nichols, Isla Shea, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler. We pray for Derek Maston as he has gone through surgery this week and is still wrestling with the uh, recovery from that. Lord, for the other burdens and needs on our hearts today, we lay them at your feet and we give you thanks for hearing our prayers and for answering in the way that you know is best. Father, we pray that you will fill our hearts, our minds, our spirits with the truth of the resurrection. That we might live in that reality every moment of every day. And we pray all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
Our scripture reading for this morning, it comes from John 20, verses 19 through 23. Following the tradition of the church, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. quickly to you that um, we are um, having a, a time of prayer, 36 hours of prayer for our graduates, high school, college graduates, uh, next Tuesday, 6 a.m. to next Wednesday, 6 p.m. And uh, it's just a time to pray for those who are graduating that may be some of you and you want to come and ask for God's grace and mercy on your life to know what you're doing next and uh, give you peace in the midst of the anxiety about what's coming up. Um, but we certainly want to pray for each other as well. And uh, we have some prayer guides and the prayer room will be prepared for you to, uh, to come and to do that. You can sign up this morning or anytime online to the church website, hwchurch.org. But we'd love to fill up these 36 hours with prayer for our graduates, high school and college graduates. And in the prayer room, there'll be the names of all the people who are graduating and we'll have a chance to pray for them however you would like. But we would encourage you to be a part of this prayer time. Uh, also, we are um, looking for some folks who can help out in the nursery during the summer in Children's Church. If you're going to be around, and a lot of you won't be, but if you're going to be around, it's a great opportunity to connect with our little ones. And we know God cares deeply for our little ones. And give you a chance to do that. You can have some forms in the back, tables, and uh, we'll help you with those if you're interested in knowing more about that. And also, we're just about done with the remodeling project of the offices. In fact, we have kind of begun to move back in, sort of half here, half not. But uh, you, if you want to, after the service, you want to go over there and you want to walk through, please feel free to do that and see. Uh, this is great work. It's been done. It's beautiful. And uh, thanks to everybody who's helped with that. Father, I pray that you will open our eyes to your grace and to your truth this morning. We want to hear from you. So help us to have ears and hearts and minds that are open and ready. 
And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, everyone has some kind of an opinion about what it means to be a Christian. If we had the time, I'd love to just go around and ask you what comes to your mind when you hear the word Christian. When you think, when someone says, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, what pops into your head? I would be fascinated to know in this group how many of those responses are positive, how many are negative. I suspect they kind of be all over the map. It's one of the great questions, one of the great issues as people who are concerned about being followers of Jesus, what does that mean? And what are we communicating to people about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? I think there's something about that question, that idea that's at the heart of this passage we read this morning from John's gospel. This is still the first Easter Easter day. That morning, Mary goes to the tomb Stones rolled away. She runs against Peter and John, brings them back. They go in. They see the grave clothes are there, but Jesus is not. They walk away, scratching their heads, trying to figure out something has happened here, but we don't know exactly what it is. They go back to this meeting place, and Mary stays. She encounters Jesus, has a conversation with them. She runs and tells them. Now they're really scratching their heads. I mean, let's be honest. Who is looking for someone dead to be alive? It doesn't happen. So they're now locked. They've locked themselves in this room. And, and John says, because they're afraid of the, the people who persecuted Jesus. You can't blame them. You've got to figure, if these guys went after Jesus and crucified him, they're going to be looking for anybody who is associated, connected with Jesus. No one more than these disciples. And so they're holed up in this room trying to figure out what in the world is going on, what has happened today, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears. It's not surprising to me that he says, peace be with you, and John says, and again he says, peace be with you, because you've got to imagine they are freaking out, right? I mean, I don't care what Mary said. I don't care what Peter and John saw. Dead people don't live again. And yet here is Jesus. And once they begin to understand that it is in fact Jesus, they start getting excited. And John, the best word John can use is that they are overjoyed. They are thrilled. They're ecstatic. Wow. This is amazing. And I have a feeling they want Jesus to sit down and let's just hang out. Let's just, let's just be together and forget about everybody else. It's just us and Jesus and this is going to be awesome. And Jesus has some things to say to them. And I'm sure they're sitting there thinking, okay, Jesus, what are you going to tell us? What are you going to teach us? And maybe in the back of their minds, they're thinking, this is about how Jesus is going to change us. And affect us. But Jesus says to them, as the Father sent me to you, I'm sending you. Into the world. The message of the resurrection is never just me and Jesus. 
It's never circle the wagons, build up walls, close up all the bridges. It's if we, let's just hang out with Jesus and nothing else matters. The, the resurrection story is about Jesus in us so that we can go and help other people know Jesus. And every one of the Gospels tells us it is about going out. It's Jesus coming, changing us so that we can go out and be agents of change for everybody else. He says to Mary, go tell the disciples. He says to disciples, now go tell other people. What's curious is what he tells them to go do. Every one of the gospel writers has a little different nuance to the, the conversation with Jesus and a little different nuance to the story as how they describe it. And John says to them, says, tells us that Jesus says to them one thing. They're going to go out into the world and of the hundreds of things that they could do. John tells us, Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, just one thing. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. And as far as we know, he walks away. Okay, now they're really scratching their heads. That seems to imply that the forgiveness of the sins of the world are in our hands. Doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it sound like Jesus is saying, if you who are my followers say your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. And if I look at that person and say your sins are not forgiven, they're not forgiven. It appears as if Jesus is saying all the power for the forgiveness of the sins of the world are in the hands of his disciples. But when you read the rest of scripture, you have to say that doesn't seem right. Because scripture tells us over and over and over again, only God can forgive sins. Jesus comes to forgive sins. Forgiveness is only in Jesus. So what's he saying to us? What's he saying to the disciples? What does he mean? And how does that, what does that mean for you and me? If we are followers of Jesus, if we believe in the resurrection, if we have embraced the resurrection in Jesus who is resurrected, what does it mean about where, what we're sent out to do? There's a lot of discussion about it, but I think what he's saying is, those of you who have embraced the resurrection, those of you who believe in me, have become resurrection people, are now my agents of forgiveness in the world. It's not that we are going to forgive anyone's sins, but we are going into the world to help people understand that Jesus comes to forgive their sins. We're going into the world to represent Jesus and to try and help people understand what Jesus wants to do in people's lives. And we go out as ambassadors of Jesus. I think it's what Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says that, he says, we now regard uh, no one from a worldly point of view. God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation So that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are Christ's ambassadors. We are people who say we've got some good news to share. 
We go into the world to say, God wants to change your life. God wants to set you free from sin. God wants to make you a new person. And it's not a coincidence that he uses the word forgiveness. He could have used other words. He could have used other, other concepts to talk about what we're going to do. But he uses forgiveness because forgiveness is at the heart of what Jesus comes to do. It's the heart of what all of us need because every person in some way or another, if we're willing to admit it, recognizes how often we fall short and how much we need to be forgiven. We yearn to be forgiven by other people. And whether we know it or not, ultimately by our creator. Because the opposite of being forgiven is being enslaved, chained, burdened by our sin. And we spend our lives trying to do everything possible to unchain ourselves. When all the while, only Jesus can set us free. And our calling as followers of the resurrected Christ is to go into the world and actually with each other and to be agents of forgiveness, to remind each other that we, in Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, there's hope. In Christ, there's joy. In Christ, there's life. This is good news. Sometimes, though, we aren't always as eager to be agents of forgiveness and good news. Sometimes we get so self-centered that we don't even care that much about other people. It's, it's one of the root problems with this mindset that being a follower of Jesus is just me and Jesus and nobody else. As if nobody else matters to Jesus. Sometimes we have a sense of there are people who are undeserving of forgiveness. I bet if we took a couple of minutes, we could think of someone that we're not really sure they, ought, they really deserve forgiveness. Maybe it's because we're, we're afraid, we're worried, we're pretty sure people are going to take advantage of forgiveness. The irony is that could be said of us every day. Who of us is worthy of forgiveness? Who of us is deserving of forgiveness? Who of us doesn't take advantage sometimes of God's forgiveness? And yet he keeps forgiving us. He keeps coming back to us. He keeps working with us. Sometimes we think that the God of the Old Testament is different than Jesus. And there are people who want to tell us that. They want to tell us that you know, Jesus is all about love and the God of the Old Testament is all about wrath. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is God. And when you look at the book of Exodus, as, as the nation of Israel is being established, God says to the people and to Moses, look, here's who I am. You want to know who I am? I am full of compassion and mercy. Faithfulness, love, goodness. This is who I am. And he says to Moses, he has this conversation with Moses in Exodus 33. This is right after the golden calf incident where the Israelites have rejected God. They're worshiping the golden calf. And Moses, I think Moses is more angry than God is. And, and the people are being punished and, and they have the, God and Moses have this conversation and I get the sense that Moses is saying, God, why are you forgiving these people? 
And God says to Moses, look, I'll have compassion on whoever I want to have compassion on. I'm going to forgive whoever I want to forgive. Don't try to limit or minimize my compassion, my forgiveness. And sometimes we interpret that the other way around, but it's God being gracious and merciful. And that's what he calls us to be. That's what he calls us to communicate. There's an article in the New York Times. Actually, it was an op-ed piece a couple of weeks ago. A couple of people sent it to me. It's a fascinating article written, or op-ed piece written by an evangelical Christian who had been a part of the last three uh, Republican presidential administrations. And uh, he, he talks about his, his, you know, his connection to the church as an evangelical. And he's talking about um, the one of the public personas that the evangelical church has created since the mid-1970s, and it's the persona that tends to be the most vocal and gets the most media attention. And it's this sense of being at war with the culture in America. And, and that the purpose, the goal of the church is to bring judgment on the culture and to crush the culture and to take over the culture. And he says, you know, Maybe there's a better view than that. What if we, instead of that mindset that's basically trying, that thinks, feels it's at war with the culture, what if we had the mindset of going and being gracious and merciful and compassionate toward the culture? Not that we ignore the sins of the culture. Not that we say, hey, this, this world is a mess. This nation is a mess. And people are rejecting God all over the place. It's not that we're saying that isn't true. It is true. We've just come to believe that the answer to that is not fighting with the world. It's loving the world. It's compassion and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And he uses, he says, you know, we've got two options. On the one hand, there is a sense of the church as, as as a court of sentencing, Court of judgment. Or we can see the church as a field hospital in the midst of the battle. I think there's something about those, those images that Jesus is addressing here. About who that we're going to be as Christians. What are we going to be as the church? Now... It doesn't mean, again, that we just simply ignore the reality of sin and evil in the world. Jesus does add a second phrase to his, his uh, commissioning of the disciples. I kind of wish he wouldn't. It would have been a lot simpler to interpret this passage if he just said, those you forgive are forgiven and just stop there. But he doesn't. He says, those who, are, who you don't forgive won't be forgiven. You talk about something difficult to understand. I've got a book in my library that's called The Hard Sayings of the Bible. This is such a hard saying. It's not even in that book. I'm serious. I picked it up. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? This is, you don't put this one in here? It's like, I don't know. And you read about it and you get all these different theories, but most people are just sort of skim over it because they don't know what to do with it. And I'm not sure I know what to do with it. But it seems to me, at least, I've come to this sort of idea about it, that I I think maybe Jesus is saying, look, 
you have to address sin. And, and being resurrection people in the world doesn't mean God is, we say to people, well, God doesn't care what you do. It doesn't matter. Live however you want. Do whatever you want. God's okay with it. He doesn't want to disturb your life. We don't do that, not because we're trying to pass judgment on people, but because we realize that the rejection of God and sin is separating people from the source of life. And we want people to live. We're we're removing people from the source of joy. And we want people to know joy and peace. We want people to know peace. And everything that we're deep inside yearning to experience can only be found in God. And so we are, sometimes, and so you have to address those things in order for us to understand that God is the answer to that. But we do it with the heart of compassion and mercy and sorrow and grief. And sometimes there are people in the world who simply have said, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And as as Jesus says to the disciples in Luke 10, when he sends them out, he says, if you go to a city and they reject you and they reject your message, shake the dust off your sandals and go to the next place where they might be more receptive. C.S. Lewis says in The Great Divorce that in this world are two kinds of people. People who say to God, your will be done. And people to whom God says, your will be done. And sometimes we have to move on, and, but we do it with a heavy heart. We do it not with a spirit of, I can't wait to see you get yours. I can't wait to watch God wreak vengeance on you. We do it saying, God, be merciful. Be compassionate. Be kind. Because the goal of our existence as resurrection people in this world is reconciling people to God. It's not winning. It's not promoting our agenda. It's not reconciling people to God who is the source of joy and peace and life. That's our purpose. And the example of Jesus shows us that we will much more adequately accomplish that goal and that mission through love and forgiveness than anything else. Forgiveness is part of the risk of love. You know what that feels like. When you offer forgiveness to someone, something in the back of your mind is saying, they better not do that again. The reason we are hesitant to offer forgiveness is because we know that we're opening ourselves up to be hurt. And we hurt each other. But that's the risk of love. And I've never seen a loving, genuinely healthy, loving relationship that wasn't based in a spirit of forgiveness. It doesn't matter if you're talking about... uh, husband, wife, dating relationship, parent, child, siblings, friends, whatever. Any healthy, loving relationship is going to involve forgiveness. Because unforgiveness puts a wedge between us. It's the risk of love. I think 
I think that's why when Jesus introduces himself to the disciples, he holds up his hands and he shows them his side. Because he wants them to understand that if you're going to be agents of forgiveness in the world, if you're going to love the world, if you're going to be means through which people are forgiven, it's going to cost you. It's going to hurt. We'd love to think that we forgive people and we offer forgiveness and we tell them about Jesus and they fall down on the ground in front of us in gratitude and thanksgiving. And sometimes that happens, but often it doesn't. And maybe the real test of our willingness to be agents of forgiveness is what we do when people reject us and reject Christ. The way of the cross is not an aberration It is the way of forgiveness and love. And if it's the path that Jesus takes, it's going to be the path that he calls us to take as well. And that's why, that's why the sentence that Jesus ta- shares, that John tells us about the Holy Spirit is so vitally important. Jesus says to the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit, and then he breathes on them. It reminds me of God breathing life into Adam in Genesis. It reminds me of God bringing life into the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. What was dead is now alive. And without the Holy Spirit, then it means you and I are on our own out there. We're going to fail every time. We're not wise enough. We're not good enough. We're not loving enough. We're not caring enough. We're not anything enough to be the kind of witnesses for Christ that will do anything to change the world. No matter how hard we try. It is only the spirit of Christ in us that gives us grace and courage and and patience and faithfulness to be agents of forgiveness. Lord, the call on us is to live our lives every day saying, Lord, I surrender to you. I surrender to your spirit. Fill me, change me, work in me. Do what you want to in me because I want to be the most effective agent of forgiveness in the world that I can possibly be. And that's only going to happen through your spirit in me. And when the spirit gets in us, We not only become more loving, more forgiving, more caring, we also become more hopeful. I mean, quite frankly, Jesus is sending disciples into a a world that has, I mean, they crucified Jesus. And we live in a world that is continually rejecting God, rejecting Jesus. We see it every single day in a multitude of ways. And the most natural human response is despair. What in the world could my witness possibly do to change anything? What could our witness, even corporately together, do to change anything? Through the risen Christ, amazing things can happen. And through the risen Christ, the spirit of despair becomes a spirit of hope. 
And whether we see the changes or not, whether we, we are a presence for people and they do and they, they respond to Jesus positively or they reject him outright, we are still people of hope because we believe the Spirit's at work in them even if we can't see it. And we keep going out and we keep being agents of forgiveness and bearing witness to Christ and loving people and caring for people. Why? Because we believe the resurrected Christ changes things. Because death has been conquered, because sin has been conquered, because evil doesn't have the last word, no matter what it looks like. It's our hope through Christ. And that's why we commit ourselves to the Holy Spirit to live every day as agents of forgiveness, of grace and mercy and love and compassion and truth and justice. Because we believe through the power of the risen Christ, it makes a difference. If it doesn't, might as well all just go home. N.T. Wright tells about when he was a bishop in, in Durham, how every week in the summer, they would take a, a whole group of, of teenagers up to one of the cities in northeast England and, and spend a week there doing a, a variety of things. They spend their mornings studying the scriptures, teaching them scriptures. They spend the afternoons in some service projects. In the evening, they'd have big rallies and invite people and try to help them understand and accept Christ. One of his favorite times of the, of the week was the afternoons when they'd go out and they'd do these service projects. And one year, they went to this, this, one of the older towns in that part of England. And they went to one of the seedier parts of that town and chose some of the alleys in that seedier part of town and began to fix them up. And they went down the alley painting the walls and, and hanging flower plants and doing everything they could to spruce up this place. And as they were working, the neighbors, the people who lived there, came out in the alley, which they rarely did because of all the things that tended to go on there. They were frightened to go out. They wanted to be a part of it. They came out and they were nervous. They said, you guys from the government? How much is this going to cost us? And his teenager said to them, oh no, it doesn't cost you anything. This, we're from the church. This is just a present to you. It's a gift to you. And his people were astounded. They said that wasn't the end of the story. A year later, they went back. And when he went back to that same alley, those people who were afraid to go into the alley before, now were planting gardens and having community barbecues and hanging out with each other and building relationships. And the whole community had been transformed. And he said the most amazing thing was that one of the lay workers went and, and lived, began to live in that, in that street. And because of everything that the church had done for those people. Now, when he spoke about Jesus, they listened. And the whole place was transformed. As followers of Jesus, as the church of Jesus, we are called to be agents of forgiveness. 
to be a, a field hospital in a world of people who are falling to the wayside left and right. It's an amazing responsibility, but it's also a pretty awesome sense of grace and joy and privilege. And I want to challenge you and me and us to be willing to let the Spirit work in us in such a way that we actually become agents of forgiveness through the Spirit of Christ. Holy Father, thank you for this great privilege. We we shudder at the responsibility Pray it through your spirit. You will make us who we need to be. That with each other and with this world, you could use us. We ask this through Christ. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew my heart and make me whole. Cause your word to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. Give me passion for your
and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.